We all know nursing can be stressful. Finding your next travel nursing assignment shouldn't be. That's why we're thrilled to be sponsored by Stability Healthcare, a travel nurse agency that's all about trust and transparency. With their comprehensive search tool and instant online rates, they make finding your next job quick and simple so that you can confidently take the next step in your career. Check them out on Instagram at Stability Healthcare or at www.stabilityhealthcare.com to learn more. All right, today uh, we have a very special guest for you all. Uh, We're continuing this season's exploration of horticultural therapy, plant therapy, and therapeutic gardens by speaking with Professor Claire Cooper-Marcus, who's Professor Emerita at the Departments of Architecture and Landscape Architecture at the University of California, Berkeley. Claire is internationally recognized for her pioneering research on the psychological and sociological aspects of architecture, land use planning, and landscape design, particularly with urban open spaces. Her most recent book co-authored with Naomi Sachs is titled Therapeutic Landscapes, an evidence-based approach to designing healing gardens and restorative outdoor spaces. The book uh, functions as a guide offering an evidence-based overview of healing gardens and therapeutic landscapes from planning to evaluation. We are so honored to have Claire on the podcast to learn more about the design choices behind therapeutic gardens and the evidence for their benefits. Uh, Thank you for being here, Claire. Okay, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. Okay, to to start, uh, one thing I noticed, um, both reading your own work and the work of others as we've been researching for this season is that we've known about the healing power for lack of a better word, of nature for what seems like centuries. Um, So horticultural therapists tend to point to Benjamin Rush, one of the Declaration of Independence signers as an early practitioner in some regards. Uh, You you write about even further back, as far back as like ancient times in Greece, for example. Are there any specific reasons you found that this idea of therapeutic gardens isn't more mainstream? I think Somewhere along the way, and I can't tell you which century, but maybe, you know, hundreds of years ago, we began to lose track of the notion that nature was therapeutic. And um, then particularly in the 20th century, we began to build hospitals like corporate office buildings. And any gardens that might have been there were covered with parking lots and the emphasis is on uh, efficiency and good sanitation and any notion that greenery was important was like out the window. The the one area which remained or rather recaptured the notion of nature was actually early, what they were called mental asylums, which way back in the 19th century, a few pioneers began to say, Nature is important. People who have mental illness need to be out in the sunlight with greenery and handling plants. So it's been a long time coming back, but now it's here. I think there's a lot of recognition, especially since the pandemic, that everybody was flocking into parks because we couldn't go to other places. So I think in a way that was a big plus. I know yeah. I've definitely spent more time outside. I don't know about you, Joe. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the motivation for this idea in the first place was how many people I saw getting uh, into plants and gardening during quarantine and the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was it was like a phenomenon of sorts. Um, I mean, there were lines at my garden center. I would give up <laughs> waiting. People were waiting to buy their veggie plants. Yeah, it was it was heartening to see. That's really I nice. I know that's yeah. me. I bought I bought. Let's count seven succulents and three plants Yes, <laughs> during this time yeah. period. Yeah. So yeah. I definitely jumped on that train. So concerning the need for evidence-based design when making choices for therapeutic gardens, if you had to pick one solid piece of one solid piece of evidence that you could kind of convert someone into the idea of therapeutic gardening, what would that be? Well, I'm sure maybe if you've had other speakers, they've referred to this famous study by Roger Ulrich. Um, it's, and it's not actually about a garden. It's more, it's about a view to greenery. And his famous study published in 1984 in, in Science was that patients recovering from gallbladder surgery, looking out at trees compared to those looking out at a brick wall, the ones looking out at trees called the nurse less often, took fewer painkillers, and went home sooner. Now, that was an, a dramatic piece of work where he had access to patient records, which probably wouldn't be allowed now out of under yeah. HIPAA. Yeah. Um, but that hit the mainstream with, oh, trees, greenery, they're not just some sort of cosmetic nice you know, nicety around the hospital. The, the administrators who control everything said, oh, they affect the bottom line. People are going home sooner. Now, this didn't affect nurses so much. Well, it did, but it's only very tangentially. But it really put on the map the notion that nature was stress reducing. Even nature viewed from your bed through a window made a difference in how quickly you recovered from surgery. That's amazing. So do you see any hospitals designing gardens nowadays specifically for nurses, or is that still something that has to be developed? Not specifically for nurses, but um, the, a good therapeutic garden or healing garden, as they're sometimes called, will serve nurses as it will also serve patients and staff. Um, oh, I'll, I'll back off with one, one caveat. In some gardens, hospital gardens, there is a separate garden for nurses. And it isn't designed differently. It's just that there's a sort of a little gate, a symbolic gate, staff only. I have seen this at an Alzheimer's unit where it's absolutely essential because the patients have no notion that they shouldn't uh, go up and talk to the nurse when she's in the garden. So the nurses have to have a quiet space. I've also seen it at a burn garden. Um, so the basic requirements of a therapeutic garden would be the same for everybody, not different for nurses, that there be a variety of places that, that, that it'd be very green. <laughs> okay, yes. something like a, 
a 70 to 30 ratio, like 70% of it is green compared to the solid concrete parts and the patios and things. And that there's a huge variety of green and textures and colors and seasonal color that it's not just all one plant, it's a whole variety that there, that the planting appeals to all the senses. So there are a lot of things you want to look at, but also maybe things that you're drawn to touch, like lamb's ear, which has sort of had fluffy leaves, um, things that you bend down to smell. Um, even I've seen in some gardens uh, where they plant um, deliberately blueberries and strawberries that people in the garden can help themselves to. <laughs> um, but it's particularly important for nurses, I think, um, is that there be places where they can choose to sit a little more privately, alone or together with one other person. They might have a, a private conversation, um, which means there needs to be sort of little niches and hideaway places in the garden. And I've also noticed in just regular therapeutic gardens, the nurses will often if there's movable seating, movable garden chairs, they'll pull up one chair to put their feet up. And I have a great picture of that somewhere in a hospital in Chicago. And I think, oh, of course, nurses are on their feet all day. When they have their lunch hour or their break, they want to put their feet up. <laughs> so I think a requirement, particularly for nurses, is there be movable furniture that is comfortable and stable that they can move to put their feet up. And then the last thing, and I have seen nurses doing this, nurses having meetings outside, which means I remember seeing this at the same children's hospital in Chicago, a group of nurses, probably five, clustered around in a lovely sort of sunny area of the garden, probably having a meeting. I mean, I wasn't going to go and listen, but it looked, <laughs> they weren't laughing and eating lunch. They were almost certainly having a meeting. And I thought, oh, that is wonderful. Other than this space, they'd be probably in a dreary break room with fluorescent lights. And here they are having a meeting, which is probably necessary for work, but they're out in the sun with greenery and the birds around. So. But all those things I've mentioned would be true for patients in the garden also and for visitors, anyone. Yeah. Okay, so it's sort of like a universally applied. Uh, uh, yeah, more or less, more or less, yes. Yeah. One thing, I, one thing I wanted to ask based on what um, you spoke about there is, uh, I think you mentioned uh, that people will incorporate seasonal elements to these gardens. Mm -hmm. um, so is that, a way to like kind of show the passage of time in a way, or is that just a... Uh... No, no, more that the garden be um, attractive okay. in all seasons. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, some of your listeners, I don't know where your listeners are, but they might be in parts of the country that are covered in snow for months. And I once gave a talk showing pictures like the one you see here in my, my garden. And, there were two nurses from Canada saying, well, this is all very nice, but we live in Saskatchewan, Canada, and there's snow on the ground for six months a year. And I went, whoa, 
ooh, touche. Uh, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> and then I went across Canada and I found hospitals there with beautiful indoor gardens. Now, that can't be happen everywhere, but it can be done like a, like a big indoor greenhouse with plants and maybe a little pool. And just as people are buying plants during the pandemic to have greenery inside their houses, we can create what used to be called conservatories, you know, where there are plants and yeah. you could be in greenery even if there's snow outside. So Joe had told me about how sometimes there might be certain mistakes made when creating therapeutic gardens. He said that he saw one design mistake based on his research that was going for an abstract view versus nat more natural and realistic. I don't want to like dwell too much on the negative aspects of the therapeutic gardens, but what mistakes do happen in your opinion? Yes, well, principal ones I've seen where they've just made me cringe have been ones where, for example, it's predominantly hard, what we call hardscape, predominantly sort of concrete and gravel and sculptures. And you know, I mean, I saw one in Arizona for a cancer unit. I couldn't imagine anyone would want to be out there. And there's no <laughs> greenery, there was no shade. Yeah. The, the benches were made of concrete, which was too hot to sit on in the Arizona sun. So yeah. too much hardscape, big mistake. Uh, no places of privacy, you know, just sort of everything stark and people need to go and sit, to, especially people need to, we all, this is true for every human being, we tend to be more comfortable sitting with something at our back, not just a back of a bench, but like a hedge or greenery or something at our back because we feel vulnerable from the back. That's just a human characteristic. Yeah, physiological. Yeah, physiological characteristic. So yeah, and I've seen some gardens where they're, they're, it's all symbolic. It's all created on a metaphor that the architect had in mind. And it's like, hello, uh, how is the user supposed to understand this? So I have to put in a plug here. Gardens should only be designed by landscape architects. They are the profession trained to Architects are not trained to design gardens. They don't know about plants and they tend to be the ones, architects and artists tend to be the ones to create gardens that are artistic and symbolic and useless. <laughs> <laughs> to be very crude, useless. <laughs> Fair so enough. If, so if you're promoting one in your hospital, make sure it is a professional landscape architect. It's good to know. Yeah, yeah. Hey, no, no, uh, no pushback from me. I've, I've, I have enough friends that are into abstract art that. Uh, <laughs> no, that's I, not. I would, I would, I would not put in charge of making a therapeutic no, garden. No. <laughs> yeah, I think you kind of touched on this already um, when you spoke about the berries, but I, I, I was interested um, in the difference between uh, a therapeutic garden and an enabling garden, in particular. Um, so I guess because you already addressed it, but I would like to discuss it slightly more. Can therapeutic gardens be like interacted with? Is are, are some designed to be like changed or is it kind of, is the motivation to have it be like 
set in place? You know, right now I'm completely forgetting what an enabling garden is. I know it's a de definition. So I think an enabling garden is one where you can do horticultural therapy. Yes. Yeah, where you can garden, you can actually yes. do gardening. Yep. Um, well, there's some overlap, but when I am talking about therapeutic gardens, or they're more often called healing gardens mm -hmm. in, in the medical world now, in the, in the hospital world, okay. um, you wouldn't be, they wouldn't be set up for you to do gardening in them. No, they'd set up, and I, when I say they for passive use, I mean, we should put passive in quotes there because really a whole lot of things are happening yeah. mostly unconsciously to you. You're relaxing. You're, in fact, the evidence is that when you step from a stressful situation, which I know nursing is, into a garden, the, your blood pressure goes down, your heart rate goes down. Um, that's just within five to 10 minutes that yeah. can happen. Um, and what is concern to me is that frequently nurses have such a short break. I have a daughter-in-law who's a nurse, and I ask her if she goes to the garden at Stanford where there are some gorgeous gardens. She said her lunch hour is half an hour, and if an appointment runs late and she has to be there for the next one, there's no time. She just has time for a sandwich and a coffee. And I am appalled by that. I'm, I would hope the nurses union could do something about that because it seems to me that is the most unhealthy thing imaginable, only a half hour lunch hour. So I'm bringing back to gardens. If the garden is some distance, then nurses and staff are not going to go to it because their half hour is taken up with getting their lunch and putting their feet up in a break room, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So I, what would ideally happen if I was creating a new hospital? I would put a, a small garden outside every nurse's break room so they could step out immediately into some natural place, even if they only had half an hour or 20 minutes left of their lunch hour, they could easily be in a garden. But I have not seen that yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I will say, um, so I was a staff nurse in Washington, D.C., and then I was a travel nurse, and I went to New York, Seattle, L.A., Sydney, and now I'm in San Diego. Um, and I have been to one hospital where my lunch hour was longer than 30 minutes. I've been to other hospitals where like I have a 30 minute lunch and then I have a 15 minute break earlier and 15 minutes after stuff like that. But like in consecutive time, I've been to one where my lunch hour was longer than 30 minutes. So yeah, and that's I'm, very I, common. I know that's, it seems shocking. I don't think there are many other quote businesses or occupations where the lunch hour the bigger break of the day is only half an hour. Yeah. 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 It's that, it's kind of wild too, because we're working, a lot of us are working 12 and a half hour shifts. And at like one of my hospitals, you had 30 minutes, but like 
no one left for 30 minutes. You would eat the moment you were done, you'd come back. So it'd be like 20 minutes of your 12 and a half hour shift, which is, yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah, that's terrible for your stress. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, I can attest to that for sure. Yeah. So then- that's where this- that's in where a, this podcast came yeah, from. <laughs> that's where this nonprofit came from. Yeah. <laughs> but so more than just stress, burnout, and PTSD are rampant in the nursing profession right now. There's a lot of issues happening, and there have been prior to COVID. This is not a new problem. This has been going on for quite some time. Um, but you referenced the degree of strain um, on nursing staff as one of the ways to argue therapeutic gardens in a business sense. Um, I know you mentioned some hospitals that are addressing these issues like the internal um, or the inside gardens, that sort of thing. Uh, but what, what therapeutic gardens like for these specific issues would differ from the ones that you're making just for the general public? Oh, no, these what I, the requirements that I mentioned earlier, the uh, private places, you know, sensory awareness, uh, plenty of mostly green, all those things are what would be helpful in stress yeah. reduction. Yeah, and more recommendations, not really like specifics to nur- like the nurses. No, I don't think they're specific to nurses. No, I don't. Because, um, yeah, bus- nurses are experiencing a great deal of stress. So also could be a patient, a patient. Definitely. I had cancer twice and I would sit in a garden afterwards under a tree after chemo and feel my stress kind of draining into the ground. And then I had to go to another hospital where there was no garden and I had to just sit in my car in the parking lot till I drove home on a freeway. So the stress for everybody in the hospital and the visitors, visitors waking for someone who's having heart surgery incredibly stressful for them. So now the question of PTSD has more or less come out very recently because of um, the former um, servicemen coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. There have been some experiments with gardens. Uh, I can't give you any specifics, except I do know, I've heard of one in England where they found they consulted with some former guys who'd been in the armed services and they they had to avoid benches that where something could be hidden under, 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 underneath. Um, they designed a certain sort of bench because the guys were afraid, they're still afraid of IEDs mm-hmm. hidden. IEDs, and then they wanted, there was a small sort of bridge in the garden over a symbolic stream, and they wanted it painted yellow because where they were serving, once such a bridge had been checked for bombs, it was marked yellow. And these these things were still in their psyche. They were still like incredibly stressed, as you can imagine, from the... Do you guys have members of the community help with kind of the design? Like do the architectures look or and talk to some of the members of the community to really yes, hear? Yes. That's awesome. So in particular, there's a whole, I, if people ask me where's the best place to go to look at healing gardens, and I always say 
Portland, Oregon, where the whole of legacy health system, there are now 12 healing gardens in their various hospitals. And they always work, the landscape architect who's done most of them, he works with the clinical staff. So he created a beautiful burn garden for the burn unit. He worked with the staff, the nurses, the physical therapists, the doctors, and some former patients and some former family members to, to solicit from them what they thought was essential in a garden for burn patients. Awesome. Definitely, that should happen and does yeah. happen in the best cases, but not always. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. All right, I guess one, one final question I, I have for you is, do you see any movement or possibility of healing gardens not only attached to a hospital or a healthcare facility, but perhaps being open to the general public, or is that still something being developed? Um, well, I haven't, I don't know of any that are labeled that per okay. se, no. A good park design would be a place where someone would go and, you know, experience sitting under a tree or being around greenery, but, some of the aspects of what you might do in a hospital garden, you probably wouldn't want to do in a park, such as secluded seating spaces, oh, yeah. hidden areas, because people would be afraid to use them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So they don't, it doesn't translate exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for joining us on this episode of Happy Hour with Operation Happy Nurse. Um, this has been incredibly interesting because honestly I didn't know that much about therapeutic gardens I don't know about you Joe <laughs> I did not I and I have one request for you it, mm -hmm. it's not too much trouble uh that picture you mentioned of the nurses with their feet up with their feet up on the benches if you happen to have access to that if you could send that my way that would be really lovely because yeah, I think that would be I great. can yeah oh man thank you so much Claire okay <laughs> Yeah, well, I, okay. Glad to talk to you both. Yeah, and to our <laughs> listeners, um, stay tuned for next episode where Joe and I dive into what it was like trying out these therapeutic gardens and if we saw a difference in our mental health. So stay tuned, guys, and I can't wait to speak with you again. Thank you again, Claire. Okay, thank you. Good luck. Bye.